0: this week on Hope for the Broken. Even though we are in Christ, you and I will still encounter the troubles of this world. And oftentimes the troubles of this world are insurmountable. Molehills become mountains. And what we're in need is not staring down our problem, we're in need of shifting our focus because even in the worst of circumstances, your mountain is but a bump to Almighty God. And the vehicle of prayer helps us change that focus. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel centered community redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Made New. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part two titled A New Focus. Last week we launched a teaching series that we entitled Made New as we're working our way through the Old Testament book of Ephesians. And what we discovered is one of the major themes throughout the book of Ephesians and Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus that was ultimately distributed to all the churches in the region. One of the major themes is this idea of new life found in Christ. And so that has a profound impact on the way in which we live Our lives. And last week we talked about how we have a new identity and that 12 times in the opening verses of Ephesians chapter one that Paul says in Christ or its equivalent that Paul wants us to understand our new identity in him and the profound implications that that has on our lives. Today we're going to talk about a new focus a new focus. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles, if you have not done so already, open it up to the New Testament book of Ephesians, and we will be working through verses 15 through 23 today. For a long time, I have enjoyed 2020 vision. I have never needed to wear glasses or contacts for any reason. I was one of those guys that whenever you went to the driver's license, you know, and they made you I don't know if they make you do this anymore. I'm going to show my age. But you had to look into that little deal, you know, and you had to read a certain line. I would ask to read at least the line below it. Right. I I enjoyed 2020 vision. I just was blessed uh, with good eyesight until a couple of years ago. I, I woke up one morning and I went about my normal routine I came to church and uh, opened up my Bible to begin studying. I went to bed with perfect vision, not needing anything. And I woke up that morning and someone changed out my Bible for one with blurry words in it. Right? Anybody else have that experience? It's like one day you went to bed, fine, the next day now you you need help seeing. And um, so for 44 years of my life, I, I enjoyed perfect vision. And then a couple of years ago, I woke up to needing glasses. My family and I have become friends with a couple of local doctors, eye doctors here in town. And and so I would come across them uh, as we're out and about. and And I would say, hey, listen, I think I need to set up an appointment. Something's wrong with my eyes. Well, what's going on with your eyes? Well, I can't read things as well as I used to. He said, let me save you some money. Go to Walmart and buy some reading glasses. And so I went and I and I put on, uh, so I'm, I'm trying them on, I put on uh, the 1.25 magnification uh, glasses and all of a sudden my 2020 vision returned and I thought, oh, this is amazing. And so from that point on, I have been dependent upon glasses and even using them to read my notes here today. The problem was not the print of my Bible. The problem was not the print size of my notes. It was not in the need for better lighting and my surroundings. The problem lies within the weakening of my eye muscles due to my age. I was having trouble focusing on what I needed to focus on, and I needed a tool to help me focus. What Paul is getting at in our passage here this morning is that as new believers in Christ who have found our identity in Christ, we must leverage a new focus and we need a tool in order to focus on this new thing, on this new life in Christ. Christ, And what we're going to discover in verses 15 through 23 is Paul is going to tell us the, the tool to use to change your focus, to change your perspective from the circumstances that are surrounding your life to that of Jesus Christ is the tool of prayer. And so this section provides for us one of the longest prayer sections in all of Paul's letters that are contained in the pages of the New Testament. You know, Jesus modeled prayer for his disciples. Remember, in what is known as the Lord's Prayer, he taught us, he taught his disciples how to pray. The New Testament writers built upon that and often taught the early church, this is how you pray, and this is how you ought to pray, and these are the things that you ought to pray for. And what this teaches us is that prayer is essential And prayer is vital to living this new identity in Christ. Yet if we're honest, if I'm honest with you, uh, prayer is often the last resort. Prayer is something that we often find difficult to do in our lives. Now, there are those that are prayer warriors. And you guys spend, you're like James, you got camel knees, right? You spend time on your knees and us with ADHD, we find it hard to do that, right? And uh, and I, I don't know about you, but sometimes in my prayers, I start chasing rabbits in my prayers, you know, and, and I forget sometimes that I'm even praying. But this tool of prayer is vitally important, especially as we uh, face the circumstances of our life. Because here's the truth. Even though we are in Christ, you and I will still encounter the troubles of this world. And oftentimes the troubles of this world are insurmountable in our view. These molehills become mountains in our lives. These struggles become monumental. These challenges become difficult to overcome. And what we're in need is not of staring down our problem. We're in need of shifting our focus because even in the worst of circumstances, your mountain is but a bump to Almighty God. And the vehicle of prayer helps us change that focus. I heard one pastor say uh, prayer is a declaration of dependence upon God. Prayer is the best way to gain a new focus. It is the single most powerful tool at the Christian's disposal. It helps to believers to take their eyes off of the things of this world and begin to focus on the king of glory. And so in this passage, I want to talk about four focal points of prayer. Four things that Paul teaches us about prayer. I want to share with you about the passion of prayer. I want to talk about the person of prayer. I want to look at the purpose of prayer. And finally, Paul teaches us about the power of prayer. Passion, person, purpose, and power. So let's begin by looking at The passion of prayer. What is it that led Paul to be a man of prayer? You read along in your copy of God's Word, verses 15 and 16 of Ephesians chapter 1. Paul writes, it says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you, in my prayers. A couple of key phrases here that point to Paul's passion for prayer. The phrase for this reason and the phrase I do not cease. For this reason draws our attention to what we talked about last week. For what reason? Well, for the f- reason that I am in Christ and beyond that in Christ verse 3, I've been given every spiritual blessing In other words, Paul is driven to prayer in light of who he is and to whom he has access to. Now, as a follower of Christ, having been made new, having a new identity rooted in Christ, he now prays for this reason. Romans chapter 5, verse 2 says it this way, Through him, meaning through Christ, we have also obtained access. Well, access to what? Access to Almighty God Himself by faith into this grace in which we stand. The writer of Hebrews in chapter four, verse sixteen, says, "Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and to help in time of need." How do we draw near to a holy God? It's to the tool, to the vehicle of prayer. Prayer says, or Paul also says that he is encouraged by the love of God's people toward one another. Look at verse 15 again. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and what else? Your love toward all the saints. Not only had he heard of their faith in Christ, but also their love for one another. See, when you truly love others, Beloved, you are compelled to pray for them. How many times do we focus our prayer times upon our own personal needs versus upon the needs of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Paul here in this section prays for the Ephesian believers. And because it was distributed not just to the church in Ephesus, but to all the churches in the region, it is safe for us to assume that Paul was praying for all the believers. Beloved, you and I need the prayers of God's people, especially in times of need. But even in times of prosperity, we need the petitioning power of God's people on our behalf. The people around you need that. Ultimately, what Paul is saying is that the ability to approach God himself coupled with the genuine love for believers, results in relentless prayer. He says, I do not cease. We also know in another book of the New Testament that Paul says what about prayer? Pray without ceasing. The invitation here is that for this reason, in light of who we are, let's not cease praying and petitioning Almighty God. Because of the gift that we've been given, because of who we are in Christ, beloved, let's go to the throne of grace and let's do so with boldness and do so often. Beloved, never cease in praying. The God of the universe, Understand that the God of the universe has invited us into his throne room to lay our request at his feet. First Peter five, seven says, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Paul says, for this reason, I do not cease in prayer. Let me ask you a question. What is your reason? What is your reason to pray without ceasing? What fuels your desire? What fuels my desire to petition God in prayer? Here's what I've learned. Sometimes a deeper level of prayer, a deeper level of focus is triggered by times of adversity in our lives. I don't know if you could say that about yourself, but I can certainly say it about mine, my life. And as we know, Paul is in prison while he's writing this very letter. He's encountered a great deal of adversity in his life where he feels called to be about sharing the gospel, yet he is sidelined in prison and yet he's facing this adversity, and perhaps, and while he doesn't say so clearly, perhaps one of the things that is fueling his prayer life is one, solitude, and two, the circumstances that he's facing. We're often driven to the Lord in times of adversity in our life. I can tell you that there have been times in my life where I encountered challenges, and it deepened my prayer life. There was a time not long ago that I received news that led me to a place of uncertainty about my future. Uncertainty as to what I was up against. And it was in that season, beloved, that I've prayed like I've never prayed before. And yet I find it no coincidence that even in the light of that uncertainty and the depths and the frequency of my prayers that I had a peace that passes all understanding. Isn't that something? In times of greatest adversity, we petition the Lord. We we tend to be triggered to go to prayer more often, yet it is in that triggering and it is in that frequency that we encounter the peace of God. It's because of what we have access to in prayer. What is your reason to pray? Is it because of God's faithfulness and provision in your life that you want to just pray to him? Is it because of a specific circumstance that you're facing that is causing you to spend more time on your knees? Is it a relationship that is broken that causes you to just want to pour your heart out to God? What is your reason? The truth is we all have a reason to run to the Father, don't we? There is always adversity around us. Beloved, we should go to the Lord in prayer. The first Focal point of prayer is the passion of prayer that Paul talks to us about. Secondly, is the person of prayer. When I talk about and make mention of the person of prayer, what I mean is the person to whom we are praying to. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. He says that he's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation in the knowledge of him. When we pray, we should remember the person to whom we pray. Perhaps the reason that we fail to pray more often is because we fail to understand who it is that we are petitioning. I mean, if we truly understood that our words are being heard in the very throne room of heaven... To the person who with just a word spoke everything into existence. To the person that with much love was moved, heaven and earth, moved heaven and earth for your benefit. That we may boldly approach the throne of heaven. If we truly understood that, boy, wouldn't we go to the Lord in prayer more often? Wouldn't we say for this reason and for even that reason alone, I will pray pray without ceasing. We need to understand the person to whom we pray. And here's the deal. Listen, when we pray, I want you to grab a hold of this. When we pray, what we are doing is we are evoking a response from the God of the universe. We're evoking a response. Oh God, would you move? Oh God, would you work? Oh God, would you do something? Oh God, would you show up? Oh God, would you reveal yourself? We're evoking a response from the God of the universe. And listen, I believe that the size of our prayers, what we pray for, the size of our prayers are directly correlated to who we believe the size of our God is. Do you believe to whom it is that you pray? I mean, we pray small prayers whenever we think God is small. Oh, but we pray big prayers. When we realize the person to whom we pray, prayer is a direct connection to Almighty God. When the writer of Hebrews encouraged us to boldly approach the throne of grace, he was saying that because of Jesus, get this, you don't even have to go through another mediator. Listen, you don't need a pastor or a priest to pray for you. Why? Well, remember, First part of verse 1, in Christ. Christ is your mediator. Christ is your direct connection to Almighty God. You, beloved, because of who you are in Christ, can boldly approach the throne of grace. How awesome is that? The same God that created the universe... The same God that provided for his people in the wilderness, the same God that calmed the raging sea, and the same God that healed people in the pages of Scripture is the same God that you and I pray to today. And when we pray, we connect to the person, the presence, and the power of God. You know, I think sometimes we think, though, that God can't possibly be concerned with what I'm facing. I mean, after all, what God is dealing with, with everything that is in the world, surely God is more concerned about those major events than he is even the small and significant things of our lives. Oh, but you've got to understand <laughs> who it is that you're praying to. Yes, God is the creator of the universe. And yes, who are we that he is mindful of us? Oh, but beloved, his word says that he's very concerned about you he invites you and me to petition him no matter how big the issue no matter how small the issue to borrow a line from a song god is big enough to rule his mighty universe yet small enough to live inside my heart there is no thing that is too big nor is there anything too small that we cannot petition the lord god almighty in Paul is wanting to give us a new focus by teaching us the passion of prayer and the person of prayer. Thirdly, Paul talks to to us about the purpose of prayer. Here's a question. Scripture says that our Father knows what we need before we even ask Him. So why even pray? What is the purpose of prayer? Well, I think Paul answers that question. Look at verses 17 and 18 of Ephesians chapter 1 that, why pray, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Paul begins verse 17 with the word that. That's what's called a purpose clause. The answer is a question. Why pray? Well, that you may know God more deeply. Quite simply, that you should know God and the riches of the hopes that are in him. That is the purpose of prayer. In other words, the purpose of prayer is that we would know God on a deeper level. The word translated as knowledge in verse 17 means knowledge, based upon a first hand experience isn't that powerful see it is in prayer that we have a first hand experience with the god of the universe that's how you deepen your knowledge of him Prayer is the vehicle by which moves us to know him on a deeper level. And it has been my experience that when I have petitioned God through fervent prayer, that I understand the wisdom of God and experience the power of God in my life. Listen, theological understanding is extremely important. And we get that by reading and studying and dissecting the holy word of God. But you know what's of equal equal? importance is our experience with God. Paul says that knowledge in and of itself puffs up, makes proud. But the knowledge that we learn from the pages of scripture, from the theology that we study, that that leap off the pages of this heart must translate into our relationship practice with God. That's the purpose of it that we may know God, and prayer is that experience. When I think about this prayer, I think about a specific instance in the Bible. I think about Moses' experience with God. Remember whenever he went up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, and the people of God did not go with him. They're down at the bottom of the mountain, and and, uh, Moses is gone for far too long too long to to suit the Israelites, and you remember what they did? They fashioned an idol, a golden calf, and they began worshiping it and dancing to it and singing to it. And God, meeting with Moses, saw it, and he said, Moses, look at your people. And Moses looked down at the mountain, and he saw this idolatrous worship of the people of God. And God said, let me smite them. I want to read it to you, the story. Exodus chapter 32, verses 10 through 14. It says, God said, now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you, Moses. Verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God. You know what that is? That's prayer. Imploring The Lord, his God, and said, oh, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Oh, turn your burning anger. Relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have promised, and I will give to you your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. Verse 14, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Some translations say God repented or God changed his mind. Why do I bring this up? I don't think God changes his mind. If he does, he's not Almighty God. He's not sovereign. But he is. So what's going on there? I think God was driving Moses to prayer for the purpose of gaining his heart for his people. And it was only through the vehicle of prayer that Moses had that kind of experience. Don't you think that experience led Moses to lead differently? To pray differently? to have compassion on a whole different level? You bet it did. The prayer was probably more for Moses' benefit than it was for the people's benefit. And it was through that experience that he was changed. He gained the wisdom of God. You know, wisdom has been defined as understanding life from God's perspective. What greater way to understand God's perspective than through the vehicle of prayer? Paul says that we would have our eyes enlightened. In other words, that we would gain God's perspective. That's exactly what happened in Moses. And Paul says, catch this, whenever we do that, we come to know true hope. The prayer ultimately results in knowing God, which ultimately gives us hope and peace and comfort and knowing that God is in control. So we've talked so far about the passion of prayer. We've talked about the person of prayer. We've talked about the purpose of prayer. Fourthly, finally, let's talk about the power of prayer. Beloved, I am here to tell you that there is so much power harnessed in and through our prayers. You don't even understand. I can't even begin to understand the power. That is harnessed. Oh, but Paul tries to give us a glimpse of that kind of prayerful power. Look at verses 19 through 22. And I want you to pick up on the number of times that Paul mentions power or its likeness. Verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and all authority and all power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in Oh, did you catch that? In just verse 19, in the original language, Paul uses four words translated as power. Four different words that all convey the same thing. I heard one commentator say this. Paul is leveraging all. All of the words of the Greek language to speak of the power that resides in prayer. That's power. I want to point them out to you. The first word dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite from. It's translated as power in verses 19 to 21. It refers to the ability to accomplish something. Then he uses the word energia. Guess what we get from energia? Energy. Translated as working, which literally means strength. And the word kratos, which means might. And the final word is kous, which means absolute strength. Now look who this is available to. Who's this, all this power available to? Verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Paul wants you and I to know those that are in Christ, He wants us to know the mighty, able, productive, strengthening power that is available in prayer. I read one other commentator says that he's just piling on words. Why is He piling on words? Because He can't talk significantly enough about it. There's a limitation of even language to describe the kind of power that is made available, but only to those who believe in him and in case we didn't get it through the use of the words he gives us an example okay you don't understand it through the piling on of words let me give you an example verse 20 the kind of power that he worked in christ when he raised him from the dead now you got it the same power that rose Christ from the dead is at the disposal of our prayers. That's power. That's power beyond comprehension. And here's what you and I need to realize. Beloved, we're not in need of more power because we already have it. What we're in need of is realizing the power that's already made available to us. That's what we need. You don't need any more power. I don't need any more power. It's all available to us. And the vehicle of prayer makes it work. Power to break the chains of addiction. Power to overcome temptation. Strength to endure suffering. Grace for healing and hope. In prayer, we have access to the power that placed Jesus above every name and every authority. The question is, is do you and I truly believe it? In Christ, we are made new and given a new focus. Four focal points of prayer. The passion of prayer, the person of prayer, the purpose of prayer, and finally, the power of prayer. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to TrinityTX.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.